John chapter 7 and verse 53. John chapter 7 and verse 53. I'm just going to take a glug of water to keep my voice moist. And uh, let's now come to this passage of John's gospel. The story so far is that Jesus is in the temple and he has uh, gone up to the Mount of Olives and now, according to this passage, he comes back down again and he's teaching and as he's teaching there, a woman is brought to him. It's a moment of high drama. This, in many ways, is one of the most dramatic passages in the Bible and it has a passage in it that is probably one of the most famous parts of the Bible and uh, so it is worthy of our attention. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Well known to many, but what does it mean? Well, let's find out together. John chapter 7, verse 53, and we're going to read to chapter 8, verse 11. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the middle, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women, so what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Well, it is a remarkable passage. Let me ask you this question as we get into it this morning. Have you ever felt condemned? Have you ever been in a situation where you've sensed other people do not approve? They don't like what you're doing or who you are perhaps even, and you feel therefore condemned. Uh, Perhaps it's got something to do with your children. Often we can feel condemned in that way, can't we? You know, our children are not perfect, Uh, and those of you who have met our children will be able to testify. And your children are not perfect either, and sometimes they don't behave in a way that other people wish that they would behave. And perhaps sometimes they make you aware of this and you feel condemned. Other times perhaps you feel condemned that your life is not going as well as you wished it were going. You had set a certain trajectory, a certain career path. And there's expectation perhaps from your family, uh, maybe from friends, maybe from the kind of job that you feel you should have had based upon your qualifications and your education. And now you look back and you realize you've not attained what your teachers said you should attain, what your friends said you should do, what your family expected of you. And you feel condemned. 
Of course, the kind of condemnation that's being talked about here is more serious than any of that and more substantial. It's condemnation for sin. Well, that too, perhaps, you have felt from time to time. Maybe last week uh, you left church on a high. You were sure that you could break that sinful pattern this following week, and yet Monday comes and you're back at it again, and you feel condemned. What do you do about this? What do you do about the sense of condemnation that you have? What is the answer? Well, here we come to a story where we meet a woman who has been caught in the act of adultery, and she's brought to Jesus by the Pharisees, and they are condemning her. And of course, the great question that's behind this dramatic moment is, what will Jesus do? Given this clear sin, what would he do? Well, I believe the story is teaching us the following. Everyone can experience freedom from sin only through Jesus. The kind of liberty we're looking for, the kind of freedom from condemnation, the kind of fullness of life that is the heart of John's gospel, over and over again, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That kind of life, that kind of freedom from condemnation is only available through Jesus. We need to be persuaded of that fact, don't we? Because there's so many other options on the table these days. Uh, Morality of one kind or another, sensuality of another kind. And indeed, those two options are prominently here in this passage. We meet the Pharisees with all their morality. We meet the woman who at least in this one act has been um, adulterous. And given that she was caught in the very act, you might wonder that it wasn't the first time. And then you meet Jesus. Let's look at these options we have here in the passage. First, the Pharisees. What's remarkable about them is they come to Jesus, but they come to test him, not to listen to him. They come with law, not grace. And yet, despite the fact they come with this law, not grace, which sounds so moral and so righteous, actually they're revealed as sinful, not righteous. So I want you to notice the way they come to Jesus. You see, the people, are, verse 2, are gathered around Jesus, and they're listening as he teaches them. But how different is the Pharisee? So often this is the case, isn't it? There they are in the temple, in church, as it were. And a person with a Pharisaic attitude does not go to church to learn about Jesus. He or she goes to church for another reason. Jesus has been on the Mount of Olives. He appears in the temple courts. He is, as it were, in this religious gathering. And the people, well, the people are gathered around him. They're eager to learn. They want to hear God's word from from Jesus. How different is the Pharisee? Verse 6, they come to trap Jesus or test Jesus. They're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Uh, Jesus, the law of Moses says this. What are you going to do? In other words, will he follow the law of Moses. If he does not, then he's being unbiblical. But on the other hand, if he condemns the woman, well, there goes Jesus' reputation for being a man of mercy, a friend of sinners, gone. They're seeking to trap him on the horns of a dilemma. 
They've come to test, not to listen. What about you? Have you come to church this morning to to listen, to learn? Have you come to church this morning to find out what is wrong? Are you here to find out how we will handle this textual variant in John's gospel and what we think about that? Whether we get it right and say what the commentaries say, which is this text, even if not originally in this place in the gospels, nonetheless represents what Jesus did and indeed what he teaches. Or will we get it wrong? Is that why you're here? The Pharisee comes to test, not to listen. Pharisee also comes with law, not with grace. Look at verse 4. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? So they're standing on the law, the law of Moses. Teacher, here's the law of Moses. What do you say? They're standing on the law, but they misunderstand the Bible. They don't understand how it fits together. They don't understand the point of the Bible because they're not coming with grace. Yes, Moses did indeed command as they said. You can read about that in the book of Deuteronomy. Yes, indeed. But the law commanded penalties for death for many other sins too. Uh, Murder, for instance, was also a, uh, a deed that would lead to a capital punishment. Even disobedience to parents. Um, working on the Sabbath, blasphemy, false uh, prophecy, perjury in capital cases. You know, the law commanded penalties for death for many sins. Ultimately, the Bible says all breaking of the law necessitates a penalty of death. The wages of sin is death. Yes, Moses did command, as they say, but they don't understand the context or the overall message of the Bible. For the law also provided provision for mercy and forgiveness and restoration for sinners. Most famously, the Day of Atonement. On this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins. So the Bible teaches, not what the Pharisee teaches. They're just interested in the law of Moses. What is more, if everyone who committed adultery was to be put to death without any opportunity for repentance and faith and finding forgiveness, then why does the Bible tell us that David was allowed to live? He was an adulterer and a murderer as well, yet he found grace and mercy. Not, by the way, and it isn't just a side note, it's hugely important to notice, not without massive repercussions to his life and the relationships with his family and indeed threatened the very kingdom and the work of God. It was huge repercussions. But as Psalm 51 tells us, he prayed that he was, would be made whiter than snow and his relationship with God was restored. But we might also mention Moses, who they are appealing to. Moses himself was a murderer. 
He killed a man which the law said should demand his death, and yet Moses found forgiveness and grace. So the Bible is a book that raises high the demands of the law by which we all fail, the preacher included. The Bible says, a man who breaks the Lord, even one place, breaks it in all places, for he has now broken the command of the law itself. And yet, by the grace of God, there is mercy in God, a sacrifice fulfilled in Christ for all lawbreakers like you and me. But the Pharisees do not emphasize any of that. It's all just law for them, no grace. What is more? Where is the man? Last time, the, uh, I checked, the deed with which this woman is uh, being accused and condemned took another person to participate with. And yet there is no man. Perhaps he had escaped. More likely, I think, as we'll discover in a moment, they are misogynists, chauvinists, attacking the woman and letting the man go. So often that's the way, isn't it, in human culture? The man can get off scot-free. He's just Jack the lad. But the woman is ashamed. That's how they're treating her. The Pharisees come with law, not grace, as they come to test, not listen, but they were themselves sinful, not righteous. So when Jesus asked them in verse 7, if any one of you is out sin, let him be the first one to throw a stone, they all leave, clearly showing that they are sinful, not righteous. But why Do they leave at this point? They are all sinners, generally speaking. They realize they've all broken the law at some point. And as Jesus taught, adultery of the heart is the same in intent and therefore is also worthy of judgment. But in particular, Jesus is referencing a text in the Old Testament that tells us that in such a situation, the witnesses of the criminal act must be the first to throw the stone if they themselves are guiltless of the deed. And these Pharisees are not guiltless of the same deed. And so they leave. Well, the way the Pharisees sound so righteous, strong emphasis on the law, but it cannot save. It leaves you condemned too when you realize that you do not keep the law that you insist that other people keep. The Pharisees. Then there is the woman. Uh, She has committed adultery, she is lonely, and yet she is set at liberty. There's no doubt that she had committed adultery. We're told that she's caught in the act of adultery. 
someone stumbled in and caught them in bed together. Imagine the embarrassment, the sudden covering up, the sheer horror. And she's brought before Jesus. All our hidden sins cannot remain hidden forever. The Bible says, what you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Even if we are particularly clever, socially adept, and able, therefore, to hide our adulterous behavior from human eyes, it is not hid from God's eye. And one day it will be revealed. Here she is rushed into the judgment place right before the eyes of the Son of God himself. Not only then has she been caught in the act of adultery, she is now almost unbelievably lonely. Can you see her surrounded by the finger pointing of the Pharisees? And there's a crowd of people watching who were there to hear Jesus teach. And suddenly, in the middle of church, in that temple, a group of men burst in, dragging a bedraggled woman with them, clothes hastily thrown on, very apparently only a moment before, disrobed. And she is accused before them all of adultery. Breaking her vows if she was married or helping someone else to break their vows if she was not yet married. How much more lonely could you be? Not just because of the Pharisees, but because she's brought before the Holy One of God. You know, we can have a very loving family. We can have many friends. We can be popular and successful. But when we die, we must all face God ourselves. You cannot hide behind popularity or success or achievement then. Money cannot buy you out of that encounter. Are you ready for that one-on-one meeting? Do you know the Christ who can save you? Do you have that assurance? You can have it today. Here was this woman, caught in the act of adultery, lonely, Exposed before the very presence of God himself. And yet, she is the one who is set at liberty. Verse 10. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. 
then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. How extraordinary. They, the Pharisees, had no right to condemn her. They had done exactly the same thing. They too were sinners. Jesus, as Lord of all glory, the Holy One, had every right Indeed, you might argue, duty to uphold the integrity of the moral order of the universe. And yet he does not condemn. He forgives. Her sins are removed. She's set free. And she's told now to leave her life of sin. We all must follow God and repent of our sins and leave lifestyles that are sinful. And it is the power of Christ that does this for her. And he can do that for you too today. He can free you from your life of sin and remove that sense of condemnation in your conscience, that guilt, that fear of hell. He can remove all that. And only He can. Not the Pharisee. Not the way of Pharisaic self-righteousness. That will not help you. You'll just feel condemned yourself when you realize you don't do what you ask other people to do. Not living like this woman lived, uh, trying to quieten your conscience through sensual pleasure. Sexual experimentation can give you a buzz for a while, but it is only momentary relief. Soon enough, your conscience will come back with an vengeance as you realize that death is coming and you must face the coming judgment and you'll feel condemned again not by me the preacher but by the work of God in your heart who's created you with a conscience by the spirit of God witnessing to you convicting you of that sin you can get drunk and forget about it but it will come back only Christ only he can free us from sin so meet the savior protector redeemer and master how differently does he treat this woman the pharisees treat her he is a protector they have come to kill he comes to save he bends down to write in the sand with his finger what what does he write many people have speculated of course we do not know but we can see at least that it has the impact of increasing the tension of dramatizing the moment They ask their condemning question, their law, not grace, approach. And Jesus bends down and writes in the dirt. And there is a hush, a quiet. And then he gives his stunning reply. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And while the power of that word sinks in, he bends down again and writes in the sand again. And they... Leave knowing they are not without sin. Quiet descends as they sneak away. Jesus is the protector because he is the redeemer. 
The reason why Jesus can say, neither do I condemn you, is because, and only because, he took the condemnation himself on the cross. I've wondered, did he draw a cross on the ground? It would certainly be illustrative of the pain and agony and blood and death that he took so he could look at this woman caught in the very act of adultery and declare her free. And he did it for you too. He is your protector and your redeemer. The scriptures say, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins from us. They are gone. You are free from sin. But he's also the master. Go now and leave your life of sin. To receive this redemption, you must repent from your sins. You must accept him as your Lord and master. You must leave your life of sin. No, just signing on the bottom line and say, yeah, I'm for Jesus, and then going out and living exactly the same way again. No, go now and leave your life of sin. Protector, redeemer, master. Why everyone can experience freedom from sin only through Jesus The Pharisees and all Pharisaic religion cannot give you freedom from sin. It will only condemn you more and more and more and more. The woman and all sensual, sexual lifestyles cannot give you freedom from condemnation. They only leave you lonely and vulnerable. They break relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship, and you're lonely and vulnerable ultimately before the holy God. But then the Savior, the protector, the redeemer, the master. So because everyone can experience freedom from sin only through Jesus, would you then turn to Jesus and have him as your Lord and master today. Let's pray together. As they kept on questioning him, he bent down and wrote in the sand. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Do you think you're without sin?
He who says he has no sin deceives himself and the truth is not in him. Have you nothing that you have done wrong? Do you think you're more righteous than the Pharisees? Lord, we pray that you would give us conviction of sin this morning. Once again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Only Jesus was left with the woman still standing before him. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Our Lord, would you assure, convince, soften our hearts so that we would not be so arrogant as to believe that our sins are so bad and so particularly awful The blood of the Son of God is not sufficient. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Lord, some of us here have things that we need to work on. There are sinful habits and practices. There are Tendencies that we have in our lives, we need to find accountability, we need to talk to a pastor, we need to obey our master and leave a life of sin. Give us fresh strength, Lord. Give us your loving, gracious, powerful Holy Spirit in fresh abundance, we pray that we might leave our life of sin. Lord, it is not lost on us that at the end of this encounter, no one is left but Jesus. And we bow before you, Lord. You are the righteous one. And we worship you, Lord of all glory and grace. In the name of Jesus, amen.